Well, let's draw our attention to the Word of God now. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I'll just read two verses in your hearing. It was uh, just the part, there's two verses out of the passage that was read for us earlier, and you have gotten a sense now of the, the context, having read that larger passage. Two verses, verses 32 and 33. Therefore, Christ says, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we approach your word carefully and cautiously today. We, we sense the weightiness of what you are saying here. The, the words are sharp and are uh, striking to our ears. And Lord, I pray that we would pay close attention to what you have to say. Lord, may we apply this to our life, work this, these verses out uh, in our life, having had a clear understanding by the Holy Spirit uh, today. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for what you are doing. I pray that you would bless our time today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we looked last week, we looked at baptism. And baptism is a wonderful picture. It's a picture of a spiritual reality. And it's our reality, the reality of our identity with Christ as Christians as believers, we are identifying with Him. It, and it symbolizes that. That we are identifying with Him and His people. We are united with Him. And it also symbolizes our, our death to sin and our old life. It, uh, it depicts uh, dying, to, dying to self and the, the cleansing and the washing from sin. And then rising to newness of life in Christ. And it's a wonderful picture. It's a Wonderful picture. And it's, it's also a, a, a sign or a first step in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's, so it's a sign of submission to God. You see all of those, those uh, depicted in this one act of baptism. And we've seen five baptisms today. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's amazing to see God, God work. But it's also one last thing. It's a... It's a confession of faith. It's a confessing Christ. It's taking a stand for Him in a public way. That's a, that's a wonderful thing, but quite frankly, it's easy to do within the four walls of a church, isn't it? To take the stand for Christ. I mean, it's, it's easy to do because we have loved ones here and we have uh, people who are Christians here and, and we have that camaraderie and it's a... It's a um, it's a privilege and it's a blessing and we sense the, the love of other people. But the real test comes when we go outside into the real world. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in this passage. Jesus is sending His disciples out to go out into the real world. He has prepared them for that. Or He is preparing them for that. He, uh, 
They have, he has brought them into a relationship with him. They have heard him teach for uh, almost three years. They have listened to him teach. They have been trained by him. And now it is their turn to be sent out. To be sent out by him. And this is the real test of a disciple. This is the real test. Uh, he is sending them out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. To prepare Israel to receive their... Uh, their Messiah. And in doing this, he's comparing them to sheep going into a world of wolves. If you look at verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and and innocent as doves. That sets the tone for what Jesus is about to say here. And he is telling them that they are going to be rejected. Because they rejected me, they will also reject you. But Jesus wants, uh, and in fact, what has happened is the leaders in Israel, uh, in an official capacity, have taken a stand against Christ. And they say, if you confess Christ, you are going to be put out of the synagogue. And so Israel, the leaders of Israel, the spiritual leaders of Israel, has rejected Christ. And Christ is giving the opportunity uh, for all of Israel to hear the gospel of the kingdom, that the Messiah is here, and to accept Him as their Messiah. But He warns the disciples, they're going to be rejected. It's going to be a lost cause. They're not going to be able to do it. And we see that at the end of verse 23. He says, you will not finish going through all the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So, he tells them, you're going to be rejected. So, he's sending them out. This is the real test. Now, you would expect Christ to console them. Instead, he doesn't do that at all. In fact, he just reminds them of their commitment to Christ. He just reminds them of the hallmarks of of what it is to be a disciple. And he goes through that. And that's what we see in the passage that has been read for us. The verses 24 to 39 are the hallmarks of of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the picture is, is they do not quit. They do not turn their back. So these men, these men are facing a real trial, a real test Are they ready to take this stand in a public way, confessing Christ? And so Jesus is warning them of that. Um, And there's only two options. Either you confess me, either you go out and proclaim the gospel, or you deny me. And therein lies the the test. Um, And he uses strong language. This is heavy-duty stuff. This is, uh, this is strong language because the stakes are so high. The stakes is their eternal destiny. And so Jesus is connecting. What you do here on this earth reflects what's going to actually happen in heaven. So the stakes are high. It's eternal salvation for these men at stake. Are they going to continue to confess Christ as they do within the safety of the little group? Or, or when, they, when they are shoved out of the nest, or when they go out, are they going to continue to confess? Or are they going to deny Him? That's the real test. So these men... These men are going out into the world. They're going to sense the pressures of the world, the trials of the world, the persecution, the ridicule, the shame that the world can put on 
people and make them conform to their image, um, what will they do? Here's what I want us to see. We uh, will see that the character of a genuine believer is a faithful confession of Jesus Christ in the public arena. It's just an ongoing faithful commitment or uh, confession of Jesus in the public arena. That's what it is to be a disciple. It's not just to be a disciple privately when Jesus is there and nobody else is around. You have this close relationship with Him, but it is to be a disciple out in the real world. That's what it is, public and private. So what does it mean then to confess? How do we do that? What does it mean to confess and to deny or to deny Christ? So I just want to look at those two terms. We'll move through this quickly. Number one, just to confess. There's two elements to this word. And it's, um, it simply means to acknowledge. To confess Christ is to acknowledge Him. But we know that it's more than that. It's more than just admitting that Christ lives. Even Satan will admit that Christ exists. And he will acknowledge Christ. But in no way does he stand up and confess Christ. But that, that acknowledgement has to be there. But it goes beyond there because here's the, here's the difference. There's a binding of the speaker. And this, is, this first element is a binding of the speaker to his words. So he is confessing this. This is what I believe. This is my confession. And we see this in John chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but you know the passage where uh, the spiritual leaders of Israel go to John the Baptist and say, Who are you? And it says uh, of John the Baptist, he said, And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That was his confession. Here's who I am. I am taking that stand. This is, this is what I have to say. So we could say it's a solemn declaration. Okay? The first part, a solemn declaration. But there's a little bit more to it than that, isn't there? It's, it's almost a, a legal sense. Uh, as a witness would get up and take, a, uh, take the stand and, and he would be held to his own words. And that's what we see. Um, a good picture of this is in John chapter 9. Again, you know this story. Jesus heals this blind man, and he does it on the Sabbath day. Now, that upsets the scribes and the Pharisees. And so they go talk to this blind man. Now, he had been blind since birth, and uh, they weren't getting anywhere with him, so they go and visit his parents. And uh, they ask, now, is this your son? They say, yes, this is our son. Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. And they say, we don't know how he now sees. We don't know that. We don't understand that. And here's what it says in verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confesses him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So that's a a pretty sobering thing. That's a legal bindment. Or a legal statement. They, uh, they're connecting you with your words. You cannot divorce those. And if you confess Christ, then you're going to be put out. So you get the idea. Paul puts these two together as well. In Romans chapter 10, he fuses this idea of confessing Christ with salvation. In Romans chapter 10. Now we need to understand this word. But in Romans chapter 10, here's what he says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, confession, resulting in salvation. And he's pulling together. He's pulling together what you say, what you say with salvation, with the heart condition. Okay? So you need to understand that. This is a, a rich term concerning, uh, uh, concerning confession of Christ. So here's, here's what we would say. To confess Christ is to freely and openly, nobody's coercing you, freely and openly acknowledging, acknowledge Him, acknowledge and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And this reflects, this is, this is, this reflects the heart of a genuine believer. It reflects the heart of a genuine believer. That's what Christ is talking about here in Matthew chapter 10. Um, the question, though, is how? How do we do that? Is it just a one-time thing? I mean, we've seen that today. They profess Christ. They identified themselves with the local body of believers, body of Christ. Is it just a one-time thing or is it something continuously? Well, we know the answer to that. It's not just the initial baptism. I confess Christ and that's all I need to do. There is that. But that's not all. It's in every time and and every place that we confess Christ, isn't it? It's an ongoing thing that we confess Christ. Now, that's, that's the hard part. When we're facing certain persecution, when we know that when I let it be known that I'm a Christian, people are going to say something bad about me or some... They're going to shame me in some way. They're going to ridicule me. They're, they're not going to be my friends anymore. I remember uh, when I was a little boy, um, I was walking home from school. I was just really in first grade, and there were some other kids walking with me. And, and uh, they said, oh, you're that pastor's boy, aren't you? And they said it in a way that was just ridiculing me. And as a first grader, I knew what they were doing. I knew what they were doing, but... I just said, yeah, yeah, I am. And they just, <laughs> yeah, they thought that was funny. It, but I knew, I knew at that point, I sensed it. That's, that's what's going to happen. Sometimes you will go home, even within your family members, you're going to face persecution, you're going to face ridicule. Oh, you're, you're a holier than thou, or, or you're a, a, a goody two-shoes. Now, I don't even know what a goody two-shoes is. Now, the only thing is maybe somebody named Goody had two shoes when everybody else had one. I, I don't know. But it's a good, good, you know, you think you're better than everybody else. When you live a, a godly life in front of everyone else, then that's what that you're just going to be called. You're going to have that placed upon you. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But let's just quickly look at the results here. He says in verse 32, Therefore, if anyone confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Wow. There's a correlation, like I said. What happens here on this earth is going to happen in heaven. You profess Christ now. You faithfully, continuously confess Christ. And he will confess you before Heavenly Father. That means Carl Dingus? Christ is going to stand up before God and say, Yes, I have redeemed Carl Dingus. He is one of mine. 
Now, we see that picture in Revelation 3, 5. I'll just read it for you. And he who overcomes, that's believers, will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the Lamb Book of Life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before all the angels even. So it's a, a, a public decoration in the heavenly realm. Carl Dingus is one of mine. I covered his sin. That's a wonderful thing. The results of that have eternal consequences. What we do here, I mean, it's just so temporal. We're so fearful of man and, and it's so temporal. It doesn't mean anything when it comes to eternal destination. That's when it's going to count. So like I said, how do we do that? When we go to Walmart, do we ask to use the the uh, uh, the uh, the uh, walkie-talkie, the public announcement system, and and say, uh, uh, okay, a, a Christian has now entered the building. I just want everybody to know I'm a Christian. Is that the way it's that? And every time you go to Walmart, you have to do that. Well, you know. No, I think you get the idea. There, there is that verbal, but there's that identification with the church. Hey, that's my people. Those are my people. That's my church. I go to that church. There's an identification with Christ in a very physical way as well, isn't there? It's more than just a verbal thing. It's a life that is lived with the values of Christ, the same values that Christ has. We, uh, Christ said we are a city set on a hill. We will stand out. If we live for Him, we will stand out. We are salt to this earth. So we talk like Christ or like Christ would talk. We dressed appropriately and modestly like Christ would dress. We have the same attitudes that Christ would have here on this earth. We use some of the same language. Now, this is sometimes when it gets us in trouble. I know with Paul, when uh, he'd be speaking before people and telling his testimony, and, but as soon as he said the word resurrection, oh boy, he was marked. I mean, there's nothing intelligent at all about a resurrection. Well, that, hasn't, that doesn't happen. So you don't sound very smart when you say, sometimes when you use spiritual words or words that we find here in Scripture, and you're marked, and you're marked. But we take the name of Christ in a public way and we constantly living for Him in a public way. That would include witnessing. Obviously, witnessing for the Lord. But let me give you one more. And this is so, this is so powerful. In 1 Peter, Peter pulls the two together here. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 15, here's what he says. He says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks to give an account for the hope that lies within you. Do you get that? Some way they see by the way we live our life that this man has hope in Christ Jesus. And so they approach him and they say, Look, man, where do you have such hope? Where does that hope come from? It doesn't die. They come and approach and they ask. That's that's distinction, isn't it? That's living for Christ. That's living to a way that people living in a way that people can see Christ in your life. They see that hope, that hope. That's what it means to constantly, continuously confess Christ in a world that, that's verbally and non-verbally. Now, are you characterized by that? 
Does, is that a characteristic of your life or, or is it the opposite? Do people see Christ in your life? Do they see, do they hear your words and they see your life and do they match up? Let's look at deny. Look at deny here. I'm back in Matthew chapter 10. He says, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. That's, again, that's a strong word. It's a strong word. It, it, mean, it simply means to, to say no to uh, or, or to refuse, to deny. Deny is a, a great translation. Um, but the thrust in the New Testament is to deny a person. To deny a person. And we see that in Acts chapter 3 when Peter was preaching. And here's what he said of Israel. He said uh, in Acts chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one, who, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate. Now, he's talking to Israel, and he says, Israel, as collectively as a whole, you have rejected your Messiah. You have denied him. You have said, he is not our Messiah. You've denied him. You've, uh, you've dismissed him. You've disowned him. That's a pretty deep word as well. In Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, uh, we see Christ using it in this way. Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, he says this, he says, uh, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words is in this uh, adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him uh, when he comes to his glory of his, the, in the glory of his Father who, and his holy angels. So, so now he's, he's pulling that idea of even being ashamed, ashamed. And there's that. They should be ashamed. You deny Christ. It's a shameful act. Titus, Paul gives us one more. I'll give you uh, one more verse concerning this because it's important that we understand this. Here's the way Paul uses it. He says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they what? They deny Him. They profess to know Christ, but by their deeds they deny Him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. These are false apostles. These are those who claim to be Christians, but you can tell by their life they're denying Christ. So again, it's a verbal denying or it's a, it's a life of denying, denial of Christ. And so Christ is warning these men, these disciples... To not confess Christ is to deny Christ. The idea is for someone who has taken a profession of faith and then turns away from it because of testing, because of pressures of life. Do you get the picture? So there's confession and there's denying. And denying, we would just define as this, and you'll see it on the board, to, uh, to make an open profession of Christ, but to turn away from it reflects a heart of a false disciple. He is not really a, a true disciple. Not really a true disciple. 
And this is the test that these men were facing. What are they going to do when the persecution comes and the pressures come and the embarrassment and the stares and the, uh, and the shame? It really comes down to a heart condition, doesn't it? It, it reflects what's in the heart. That's why we, we have to constantly keep tying it to our heart. It's a heart condition. Now, how do we take... Uh, or how can we stand strong because i'm worried i mean as soon as christ says don't deny me the first thing oh no am i going to do that here's here's what jesus said just two verses before three verses before it comes down to a matter of our theology what we understand about god matters in this situation When you're facing the persecution, when you're facing the ridicule, it matters what you think about God. And here's what he says in verse 28. He says, do not fear those who can kill the body and are unable to kill the soul, which is eternal, which lasts forever. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We are to fear God. We are to fear God. God has ultimate power. He has all power. And we need to get it in our minds that He is God. And man is not. So we fear Him. And that makes up our theology. That makes up our understanding of God. He is in complete sovereign control of these things. But then look at the second little part here, verse 29. Now Jesus says this right before. He he talks about confessing and denying. But He says this. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not fear. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So the second part, we fear God, but also because God's love, we acknowledge God's love. And that's all we do here. Just acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Just just know, no matter what kind of persecution, no matter what kind of tribulation, know that God loves you. Not a hair, some have more than others, but not a hair falls even to the ground. Not a hair is, is not numbered on your head. That's amazing. That's the God that we worship. He is not only a God to be feared, but He is a God who loves Loves His who have committed themselves to Him. So how about in a practical way? Well, we see that Judas, he denied Christ, didn't he? And when it, when it really come down to it, he wanted the money. He wanted the fame. He wanted something else other than, than Christ. It has to be more than this, this, uh, this false little kingdom that he's got. So he, he wants more. And so he denies Christ. And that's a, that's a picture for us. It's what it looks like to deny Christ. What about... That's verbally, and that's you can see that obviously. But I think it's sometimes more subtle than that, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I know, that, that many times we, we are, uh, we're a little afraid when we try to, as a Christian, be unnoticed in the group or... Uh, we fail to name the name of Christ. Maybe when we're at school. Let me ask you, teens, 
do your kids or do your friends that you hang around with, do they even know that you're a believer? Or have you denied him just by saying nothing? Or maybe adults, even at work, or have you just denied him by saying nothing? Um, we failed to witness for him. We failed to identify with other believers. We're kind of ashamed now. They're getting ridiculed. They're getting uh, uh, persecuted. I'm not going to be a part of that little group. Failing to live the life of Christ. Failing to take on his value systems. To, to live the way we're supposed to live. It's not only verbally, is it? It's a, it's a life lived for Christ. And we can deny Christ even with our very life. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul gives us a verse here. Even within the believers, even within the church, he says this. In Ephesians chapter 5, he said, uh, But immorality or uh, impurity or greed, immorality, impurity, or greed, must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. I mean, that, that's so contrary to who Christ is, so contrary to His nature and what He is doing, even among His saints. That stuff, that's, that's not even to be mentioned among you. That, that's like being an unbeliever. That's the idea. Sometimes circumstances then that we find ourselves. No, a believer would not even be in these circumstances. It's, and we take on the attitude. It's so easy to take on the attitude of the world, the value system of the world, the language of the world, the standards of the world, of how we raise our children, or we just kind of, like the world, just kind of let them go. No, we, we have demands on our life. We have demands on our life. Now, let me just be the first to say, this is hard. This is hard. Every one of us have had relapses, have had lapses in this. And I think the Lord for Peter, poor Peter, I mean, such a public way. He denies Christ not only once, not twice, but three times. Now, here's the difference. The difference between Peter and Judas. What, what happened? Peter denies him. And then he goes out and he's convicted his heart. As soon as it happens, he's convicted in his own heart. And he knows I've denied my Christ, my Savior, my Messiah. And he goes out and it says, the Bible says that he he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. So there's that conviction in the heart and the, the, the weeping and the crying. No, I don't want to be like that. I want to confess him constantly, continuously. So there's repentance from that sin. That's what we see in Scripture. So we all have had lapses. But it's how you handle those lapses. Are we going to be perfect 100% of the time? Every time, every little glance that people give and, and that, that shame that can be placed upon us, at, at that moment... We can confess or we can deny even without saying a word. We can be ashamed. And the thing is, is in our heart of hearts, we know it. It's hard to maybe nail down exactly when did you deny Him. But in our hearts of, heart of hearts, we know when we are denying or confessing Christ, and the Holy Spirit will hold us to that standard. Will hold us to that standard. 
the true believer then, when he does lapse, when he goes back, when he denies Christ in, in some way by his lifestyle or maybe his words denying Christ or maybe not saying anything for Christ, he's convicted and he goes back and he asks for forgiveness and he moves on. Because we know that he who confesses his sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we live daily as disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just in church, in the world too. In the public place, we're constantly confessing Christ or denying Christ. And it comes down to our theology. What do we think about God? Do we really fear Him or do we fear man? Do we really know and understand His love for us or do we just take that for granted? We not even acknowledge that. I have to ask myself these questions just by way of application in my own life. Am I constantly, consistently confessing Christ? It's easy to stand for Christ in the church when Christ is with us, when we sense the love of everyone else. But what do we do when you're isolated? What do you do when you're by yourself? Sobering words. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that we would be those genuine disciples, true disciples who are confessing you. Who are confessing you. Not denying. Not just with our words, but with our lifestyle. Lord, I pray that we would be those kinds of people. Because we know that it's a matter of reality. It's a matter of reality. What, what happens here on earth is just a reflection of what's going on in heaven and in the spiritual realm. So Lord, Lord, help us to be true to who we are. Help us to understand these things in a, in a greater way. Help us to understand that to not fear man, to fear you and understand this great love that you have for us. So that we, when we come, when it comes to persecution, the pressures of life, the the shame of being a Christian, and it seems that it's coming to that in this country, I pray that we would stand, that we would stand for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.